Another Way to Play, episode 14. Hey, this is Brian Pham. I'm a real estate investor with Stronger Moms. Hopes are crushing in real estate. If you want to learn more about the next chapter of your life, better than the last, then you should listen to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Han. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, and... I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Brian Pham. Brian is a real estate investor here in the Bay Area with the Stronger Moms Properties team, has flipped over 20 houses and owns 16 rental units in Los Angeles and Columbus, Ohio. He's also the host of Crushing It in Real Estate, a podcast about people who are doing big things in the real estate industry. And he hosts a real estate meetup in West Oakland every month where he brings together older investors, brand new people, and everyone in between to chat about real estate, what the best practices they're doing, and and what is working and not working out there in the field today. During our conversation, uh, we have a couple of really interesting uh, anecdotes that you should listen for. One is always ask questions of people. Be inquisitive. Always try and learn about the other person, even if they're new, because he finds that he learns a lot by talking to brand new investors. Uh, He also talks about changing your relationship with money. So listen for that. And lastly, he has a really cool quote that I like. Success is only borrowed. You have to keep learning. You have to keep growing. You have to keep trying to improve. So uh, he has some really great advice around that. Um, Before we get into the episode, as always, I would love to connect with you directly. So If you're down in the show notes and you want to get on my calendar, my Calendly link is there uh, for you to grab a time on my calendar. We'll have a chat. Uh, You can get to know me. I can get to know you and I can learn hopefully what you're liking about the podcast, what I can improve, what questions I should ask, what other guests we should bring on and the like. Look forward to connecting with you then. And until then, this is my conversation with Brian Pham. Brian, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Hans. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to have this one-on-one engagement with you because normally when we chat, we're chatting at your meetup over in West Oakland. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there's so, always cool interruptions and, <laughs> you know. and everyone wants to talk about real estate. So um, I'm glad we're going to get a little bit of a different take on, on your story. So with that, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Like where did it all start for you? Definitely. So it started definitely when I was a kid. Um, I was a super late bloomer. Like I was so bad in school, in elementary school. And then for being a kid that was born inside the United States, I was a part of the ESL program, which is the early entry program for immigrant kids trying to learn English, which is kind of shameful because I I was born here. (laughs) You know? Wow. I didn't know that. That's... um... So you, you, were, you were in with kids who were coming from other countries then? Exactly. They lumped me with them. You know, I was born here. <laughs> wow. So I wasn't the smartest kid. So in middle school, like I, 
they put me in shelter classes that kind of helped me learn a lot more because they think that I had a, a learning disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from in high school, I started to do better and better. So I would consider myself like a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, I didn't get any four pronos in high school until I got to college. Mm-hmm. college. I decided to just hit the 180 switch, you know, like I, I wanted to do really well in school. And then from there, I started getting 4.0s. Like my GPA in college and grad school is like almost near perfect compared to how it was when I first started. Wow. What, um, so you just kind of decided to do that. Like what, how, talk us through that moment. Cause I think that's kind of interesting because a lot of people, when they decide they're not a great student, they kind of remain as such. But you really did a did an about face on that, and you're like, no, I'm going to shed that identity, and I'm going to pick up a new one here. Because everyone that I talked to that are older than me that went to college told me that when you get to college, you get to hit the reset button, and you get to become whoever you want to become. Mm. I really took that to heart. You know, like I felt like I've been building up my entire life, being consistent, like creating better study habits, like marrying like looking up to kids who were doing really well in school and i just wanted to replicate what they were doing until you know i got to college and it finally all came together like it's it's crazy because like sometimes you're working towards your goal you don't know where you're going until after a while like it all makes sense like everything you do to the very moment just makes sense to me and i it just very it just clicked in college I created a, a routine that helped me study really well. I asked a lot more questions. I became more comfortable with who I am. I wasn't mm. shy. And that helped me progress to like becoming a better and better learner and a better, better student. So there was, there's a couple elements here that are interesting. One, which was sort of knowing yourself. And, and that's a theme through a lot of the interviews that I've done is like people taking a deep dive on themselves, finding not only their own interests, but their own sort of weaknesses as well and establishing, as you put it, routines around that Mm -hmm. uh, to then kind of rather than combat the way that they are to uh, just kind of flow with it and and figure out a way to to make it work to their advantage. And that's exactly, it sounds like what you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously when I was growing up, I failed a lot. So failing has never really bothered me at all. Like, it just helped me understood what didn't work and what did work. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that helped me throughout my investment career as well. Like I'm not afraid to fail. Like, I'll go ahead and first and see what happens, you know? Right on. So when you, so this whole concept of failure, I think is, is really interesting because it, cause it is uh, so important in the learning process. Like I think we get protected in a large degree in school and from our parents and it's all with good intentions, but they don't want us to hurt or fail. But, but if we fail or we lose a race or we get an F or we lose some money or whatever, those are honestly more important than the wins half the time. Definitely. As long as you take an opportunity to step, take a step back and kind of reflect on why you fail and what you could have done better. Like, I think that's a missing element that a lot of people don't do. They take emotions behind it. Like, oh, like they keep thinking all these negative connotations, but it shouldn't be taken in a negative way. Society makes us take it in a negative way. Like we should not personally, it's a learning, it's a learning experience and we should take it, take, take it as, as that, you know? Well, thank you for that. Cause that's exactly what I was going to ask you is, is what, like, how do you dig into that a little more practically? So it's, I mean, there's, there's two ways to look at everything. It's kind of, 
as what did I learn or, you know, woe is me. There's kind of those two, two paths you can go down and there's certainly a moment to mourn and to be upset, but you know, you can't let that be your reality forever. Cause you know, you'll, you'll never, you'll never try again. If, 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 if you let that take over your life. Definitely. It also helps to have short term memory too. Mm. Like you kind of just like brush it off and just redo it again. Right on. Well, short term, short term memory, but hopefully with a little bit of a, a smarter, you know, base. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> so would you say that that was one of the biggest things that set you apart from your peer group and, and the people around you uh, in college was that ability to fail and that decision to sort of uh, shed your old version of yourself and then start over? Or was there something else that you think really helped you boost yourself through college and beyond? Uh, I think you nailed it. I think a lot of it was just, I, I fail so often and so much as, as a youngster. I'm so numb to everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I just started, I just started thinking about like, what if I apply it to different things in my life? You know, like, what if I apply it to working out? What if I apply it to talking to women? Like, you yeah. know, you always have to fail and you always have to learn like what you did wrong, what you didn't do wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess the biggest thing is like having the abundance mindset. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, like keep failing because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to improve. Just don't be afraid. That's awesome, man. So you go into college, you get, you hit the reset button, you, you do a total 180 on your grades and on all the uh, academic side. And it sounds like to some degree on your self-confidence and your personality side as well. Mm-hmm. And you go through grad school and then you're out of grad school. Uh, what, what did you, where did you go from there? Uh, from there, I started working a software engineering job down in Southern California. And then after that, I, I moved to NorCal and I got into real estate. So thanks to my old roommate, his name is Sean, Sean Pan. He convinced me to come out to the real estate meetups and that, that experience, like learning about passive income, investments and whatnot, totally changed my life and changed my perspective on money. Right on, man. So I think a lot of the listeners in the show are people who were maybe thinking about real estate or starting a business. We're obviously in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of that uh, tech entrepreneurship mindset going around right now. You know, talk us through you. You started at a big tech job and you sort of had your grad school and you had some degrees to fall back on. But then you went out and did the entrepreneurial thing and in real estate nonetheless. So can you, can you talk us through that transition point and, and, and walk us through your thought process and how you decided to ultimately pull the trigger and take the leap? Of course. When I started in, in uh, software engineering, I never intended to like do real estate or investing. I was one of those, hey, like, I want to work really hard at my job. I want to work forever. Like, I'm, I'm going to retire the same company after, after 60 or 65, like, until I'm 60 or 65, you know? Sure, so the 40-40-40 plan. Yeah, I never, yeah, I was like very like nine to five oriented, work super hard, put in like 15, 16 hours a week, honing my skills. And I was doing this for a good three to four years until my mentor, he got laid off at the company. And that experience really hurt me because I'm like, why would you fire this guy? Like he's, he's a badass. Like he puts in longer hours than me. Like he, he taught me the ways of the company. And I was really hurt by it, you know? And then I started to realize, like, it's because 
my mentor is older and he, he cost a lot of money to the company. So he came down to picking between whether the company wanted to keep me or him. Obviously they kept the younger, cheaper talent, you know? Interesting. And then, yeah. In that transition period, like I watched him struggle to find a next job. It wasn't because his skill was lacking. It's because he has not interviewed in the last like 20, 30 years. That part really struck me like, wow, like there's, there's absolutely no loyalty in staying with your company for so long and giving like years and years of your life to like make the company better, you know? And that, that, that experience, like it's, it, it got me thinking like, okay, like what if I'm like 50 or 60, like what would happen to me? Like if I, if, if they laid me off and I cannot, like, I can't keep up with the modern technology anymore, like what's going to happen to me? And yeah. it, got me, it got me thinking like, okay, I need to create other forms of income. That was my main objective. This this was a real formative experience when when your mentor was was suddenly fired, uh, basically because he was more expensive than you mm-hmm. uh, to the company. And then you're like uh, writing on the wall time. What is what happens if that's me in ten or twenty or however many years? Mm-hmm. You said that uh, your roommate was the one who sort of brought you to some of the real estate meetups. Yeah. And I'm assuming this was a conversation you were having with your roommate and probably some other friends. What were, what were some of the opinions you were getting out there at the time? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I didn't intend to go into real estate at all. It just happened. So I happened to be the, the right place at the right time, pretty much. Um, I think at the time I was going through a little bit of a breakup. So I had a lot of free time. And then he, he just came to my room and was like, bro, like, do you want to go to a real estate meetup? I'm like, okay, let's do it. Um, so I decided to go without really thinking much about it. And when I went out to the real estate meetup, I, I met a lot of good people. Um, so my impression of real estate before I got into it was that you had to be really wealthy mm-hmm. or, um, you're just well connected in the area. You know, like, I didn't yeah. think I can do it. Like, I didn't think that someone who grew up in my background or my parents are first generation immigrants with little to no money can do it, you know? Yep. So learning, learning like the whole using other people's money or being a part of deals that don't cost you a fortune. Like I'm like, wow, like I can get started and I can do this. And that really flipped the switch for me a lot. It's interesting because to one degree, it's correct that real estate or really any other big investment requires money, but you hit it on the head. It doesn't necessarily require your money. And as long as you can, I think it's Brandon Turner at Bigger Pockets is always talking about you need the hustle, you need a deal, and you need cash. And as long as you have two of those things, you can probably find the third. I agree. And the thing that always holds people back is not money, it's knowledge. Mm. It's like the more knowledge you have, the more creative you can be to structure your deals. Totally. And that, and that certainly goes back to a couple things you've touched on, which is kind of that failing forward mentality that we haven't really labeled yet, but I'm going to go ahead and call it that. Um, <laughs> learning from mistakes and, and then also then networking and connecting with people. Mm-hmm. That's, good. Um, That's correct. So you go to the first real estate meetup. You're not really intending on getting into real estate, but you meet some people who are pretty cool. You start to see kind of like gives a face to the boogeyman, so to say. And you're like, oh, this is actually like normal people who may or may not have a ton of money. who have probably built some up, but there's plenty of newbies here. Like maybe I can do this. Is that how it worked for you? Exactly. And then coming from my own experience of failing, I, I literally like wanted to get started right away. I'm quite shameless when it comes to asking for things that I'm curious about. Yep. 
I'll ask questions like, how'd you get started? How'd you do evictions? How'd you collect rent? How'd you find a deal? How'd you find a deal? Like I'll ask any single question I can. And I make a huge effort to like schedule lunch with people I meet, including newbies. I think that every single person you talk to, like there's always something to be learned. And there's always something to like make yourself better or mistakes to avoid, you know? One thing you said that's kind of interesting there is, is be willing to like schedule lunch or coffee or call with newbies. Uh, I think most people would feel like they have to go talk to all the experts who have done a hundred deals and have a million dollars and all this stuff and try and get those people's time. But you just said you can learn from someone who's new or maybe just done one deal. Mm -hmm. And is there a, a, a moment that, that was actually really true for you or, or did, have you found that most of your successes come from kind of reaching up to the next level of, of investor? No, I feel like I benefit from both experience. So when I talk to beginners, you get a fresh perspective, you know, like you get the reason why they're, they're scared or why they're not getting started or what kind of mistakes they make. Cause I feel like if the people who are doing a lot of, a lot of deals, they tend to miss the, the, the minor details because they're so experienced with it, you know, like, my, myself included right now, like if I were to make an offer blindly on a contract, I wouldn't look over the, the minor details until I lock down the property. Whereas like if you talk to someone else is new, like they look at, down, they look at the contract down to the very detailed things. Mm-hmm. Those things that you can totally miss and you learn from them. You're like, oh wow, like I didn't know like I could include that contingency or I can rework the contract that way, you know, like because when you talk to like gurus, they're always like, yeah, just uh, submit a contract with a seven-day inspection contingency and lock it down. You can definitely learn a lot from, from everybody. And I think, gosh, I don't, it's probably a couple of years ago, I heard this concept on, a, on another podcast, not a real estate podcast even, but someone was quoting um, a famous, I think it was judo or karate teacher, um, who basically had a policy in his dojo where if you were going to train there, you had kind of three levels of people you spent time with. You had the masters who you would train under, you would have the people who were kind of at your same belt level who you would train with, Mm -hmm. and then you would have the newbies who are below you, who you would kind of teach and, and teach, you know, the basics. And that's, that concept always sort of struck me as like having a, an influencer or someone to learn from having people who are on your same level, who are kind of, pushing you to, you know, do the deal or to, to get the contract signed or whatever. And then having some new people coming along that, um, you can kind of refresh the basics for yourself, but also help them in the process. Definitely. I, I do agree with that. And I also believe in real estate, if you have the right knowledge so that you can move very quickly. There's some people I met that started after me and they're totally killing the game now. Right on. So you can't judge a book by its cover. Like everyone's different, you know, especially in real estate. Completely. So walk us from that moment when you went to that first meetup to doing your first deal. How did that look and, and who, like, how did you get the confidence to actually jump in and, and get it done? Okay. So I went to meetups for about six or seven to eight months and I still haven't done a deal yet. And then people kept asking me like, oh, yeah, I've been seeing you come out for like the last like six, seven, eight, nine months, you know, like, have you done a deal yet? And then it struck me that I have a huge imposter syndrome that I'm just learning and learning that I'm not doing anything because mm-hmm. I couldn't get it over my fears and jitters. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to my first deal. I couldn't find um, people to work with in the Bay Area because I'm not connected to the people that, that I know now. So I did something really crazy. I, I went on bigger pockets. I went through the forums of flipping 
and I was looking for uh, local flippers in my area. And my full intention was to partner with them. So it's funny because I actually was following this guy's thread for about three weeks. And when I responded to tag, to talk to him and tag him on bigger pockets, I accidentally tagged a different guy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So that guy, he reached out to me. He was like, Hey, I'm working on my third deal. Like, would you like to work with me? You know? So I thought, I thought, okay, that's really cool. And then he he texted me back. Oh no, like we got under contract. Like we need to like move now. This is literally like talking to him on Thursday and getting, sending the money to him on on Friday, literally. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I literally like went out to meet him for like, 40 minutes and next thing we know like I, I wired him like the, the down payment money to get the house and the whole time I was thinking to myself wow I'm really stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I was so like all right I just have to like get into a deal and know what I'm doing you know so I, I wouldn't recommend it you know I, I would vet the person more <laughs> sure but okay. did that did that deal end up working out for you yeah, it worked out really well. So that really got me um, a good sense of how flipping was done and how to do all these these repairs and find deals and whatnot. But knowing what I know now, I, I told someone else recently that I looked back on the contract that I signed with him. I was like, wow, like, did I really sign a two-paragraph contract guaranteeing <laughs> like, so much money? Holy cow. <laughs> well, sometimes the universe can like put these things in your lap and they just work out and you kind of have to take that blind leap. Generally speaking, you're probably right. You should do a little more due diligence and maybe know someone for longer than a 24 hour period before you get into business with them. But you know, sometimes it works out. Exactly. So we, we got into this deal together and uh, it was the smoothest deal I've ever been a part of. Wow. To now, like we finished a project in three and a half months. Oh my gosh. On top of that, we made it like we made over six figures in profit. That's in like amazing. three months. <laughs> that's that's like the best deal ever to start with, especially. So um normally they don't go that smoothly and you definitely don't make that much on your first like the fact that you made money, period, on your first one is like a big win typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't recommend what I did, but I think that I was so focused on like, okay, like I had to get experience like I'm just going to find experience wherever I could Mm -hmm. and that I'll fail first mentality has helped me like get over my jitters and just Mm -hmm. get right into a deal. But luckily it worked out. And then actually, I actually kept up with him recently too. Like he's now flipping like apartments and everything. So in the last like three or four years, like this guy has definitely leveled up a lot, you know? That's awesome. So I was like very inspirational, like just looking at him and I'm very glad he didn't, he didn't screw me anyway. (laughs) Well, it, it worked out really well for you. And that's an amazing, that's such a funny story. I love it, but you never know where those, where that opportunity or or where it's going to come from exactly. But it sounds like it really worked out well for you in that situation. And, um, you know, you, you were willing to take that risk and, and I think being willing to kind of jump and just go for it, uh, is is a big part of this and a big part of any sort of next step or leveling up. You have to you have to trust a little bit. I agree. So fast forward now, you're you flipped a whole bunch of deals. You own a bunch of rentals, and you're hosting a meetup, and you have your podcast that you're hosting. So you you've definitely gotten yourself well established in this industry. Like you never intended to be a real estate investor, it sounds like, but now you're like entrenched in this world, like. 
How did you decide ultimately that real estate was the right thing to go all in on? Um, I think that moment came when, when I started to, you know, meet with people and do my work and it didn't feel like a job. Mm. Like, I actually look forward to doing it. And I didn't mind if it took up my weekend. I didn't mind if I was still responding to email at midnight at night. To me, it just felt like I was just moving forward in, in, the, in the direction where I thought my life was going to be, you know? And at that very moment, I'm just like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Because I heard a lot of stories that people tell me about their passions. They're like, oh man, like I, I, like, I work my job. I really hate it. I can't wait to leave at five. Like, I, I hate everything about it. And then they tell me when you find your true passion, you don't even know it's work because you like doing it so much, you know? Yeah. I host my meetups. I meet a ton of people. Like, I meet up with people on weekends. I, I stay late. Some of the projects are like 9 or 10 p.m. on the weekends. Like, that never bothered me at all because it never felt like work. That's you know? awesome. So it, you really felt like you had a natural sort of a flow in and out of this world and it, and it just was sort of a shall we say like work-life integration as opposed to a work-life balance like you weren't trying to balance your free time on the weekend with your nine to five during the week exactly it's it's more of a lifestyle now you know like you breathe it you eat it you do whatever like it's a part of your life it's part of who you are as, as your identity mm-hmm. and when, when that happens and you get money from it like you found your life's calling right totally now you mentioned something the passion part. I think that's such an interesting buzzword and everyone has an opinion on like, do you follow your passion and the money will come or do you just follow the money and, and then, you know, do your passion in your free time? Like where do you fall on that spectrum? Hmm. Let's think about this one. I mean, I feel like obviously you need money to start with because it will affect your self-confidence and how you view money. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would definitely like focus on, if you don't have money, like focus on your job first and mm-hmm. have that money. Because as you have more money, you actually get more confident, you get more creative, and you get more ballsy. Mm-hmm. Your, your inner beliefs and your personal branding is developing, you know? Yep. Jump right into follow your passion and the money will come. Like you're not at that mental stage yet to, to harness that kind of capability, you know? Like you have to slowly progress yourself to that stage. Mm-hmm. And you know, once you get to the point where you're comfortable with money, you know, you know how to make money. If you have a fallback plan and everything, like that's when you can really follow your passions, mm-hmm. see where things go, you know, but it, it all starts with square one. Like you have to develop your understanding on your, your personal understanding of money and your personal beliefs of money before you can actually like pursue your passion and, you know, not get paid or do whatever, but you have to build the fundamentals first. Wow. That's really really valuable information. And along with the money conversation, do you believe that for someone who's looking to kind of go out from, you know, the big tech company or the big corporation and is maybe on the same trajectory you were on and they're looking around and like, oh, maybe I should start my own thing or maybe I should get a side hustle. You know, I have some money maybe, or I've, I've got a little bit of a savings account, but like how how do I know I'm ready to, to jump out and get started? Do you, do you have any thoughts or advice for, for those people? Yeah. I mean, you're never quite ready to jump, right? You're always going to find different reasons to hold yourself back. And sometimes like you tell yourself to start next week and you, and your fears hold you back for like a month or two months or a year. But I think the best way to get started is definitely go out, go out to networking events 
I keep asking those questions uh, on how to get started. Like, ask questions that bother you. Like, why can't you have to think back to yourself? Like, why can't you get started? There's always a bunch of questions. You know, like, is it because I don't know what I'm doing? Because uh, I'm scared to lose money, or like, am I just gonna waste my time? Am I fit for this? So ask those are questions that you can ask experienced people. Like, how how did they get over it? Um, because most of the time you realize like everyone has the same fears as you. You know, like, everyone you talk to, like they're always scared to lose money or waste time or we're all connected in that sense. Uh, but once you get over that, like you can start to ask them about how to get started into your deals. You know, like obviously I'm not pushing for a one size fit all kind of thing. Yep. It kind of depends on you as a person, right? Like what's your priority right now? If you have a lot of time, by all means, like jump into a deal where you can be more hands-on, like flipping. Mm-hmm. If you work a full-time job and you have no intention of leaving your job, like maybe out-of-state investing will work better for you or syndicate. Mm-hmm. Like, it also depends on how much money you have too. Yep. You have a lot of money saved up. Like, yeah, you can afford to stay locally in the Bay Area and get started here. But what if you don't, right? If you don't, then you have to be creative. You have to meet your partner up or you look elsewhere. And most of the time, like, it just depends on your personality too. Like, are you the type of person that's paranoid when you don't see your money in front of you, working in front of you? Mm-hmm. The type of person that's comfortable having your money circulate around and know that it'll come back around like, after you're done with the project. So it just, it just, it just goes off what, what, what is currently going on in your life, what your values are and how you view your money. You're opening out so many doors, like flipping, syndication, and out-of-state investing. Like, I think that most people get the shiny object syndrome when they talk to people and like, oh my God, like, this guy's making millions investing out-of-state. Like, oh my God, this guy made a million dollars on a flip. I feel like once you discover what you're comfortable with and which niche you want to join, like, you can make a lot of money in any niche. Like, you can make a lot of money in syndication, flipping, or investing out-of-state you have to pick what's comfortable for you and what fits your lifestyle. What you just said is fitting into your lifestyle. And and then you sort of touched on risk tolerance and how much money you want to have out of your account versus in your account at any given time. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it starts internally. You have Mm -hmm. to decide for you with the end in mind, like what feels good? Do I want mailbox money? Do I want to just get a rental, get you know a couple thousand bucks from a rental every month? Or do I want to you know put it all on the line and six months later make a hundred grand mm-hmm. flipping and value adding a house? And no, there's no necessarily right way to get into it, but there's you know there's definitely a wrong way for each person. And I and I totally agree with starting with that education component. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what all those terms were that Brian was throwing out, syndication or flipping or any of that stuff, you know, there are plenty of resources to start from. His meetup in West Oakland is a really great place, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, That's where actually I met Brian the first time. And, uh, you know, there are other resources like various podcasts. His podcast is a great one. Uh, Bigger Pockets is another really great resource. But uh, depending on, where you're at in your journey, you know, getting out there and just starting to learn and educate yourself on whether it's real estate or it's, you know, starting a company or just forming a business or what have you, there's tons of resources. So that's, that's gotta be the first place to educate yourself. Yeah, definitely. I agree with Hans. So 
we're getting towards the end of the show here and I want to respect your time, but I do have a quick question for you. You've, you've been in the real estate space. You're obviously talking to, you know, 50, hundred people at every meetup. You're, you know, you're, you're plugged in with a lot of the groups across the Bay area. Um, what do you think is the biggest success myth you've heard in the real estate space here in the Bay area right now? Hmm. That's, that's a tough question. Cause I, Usually, I try to block off a lot of my learning beliefs a lot. Um, usually, that happens naturally by reading a lot of books. Okay. They said they said you become your books. You become like your books after you read a hundred books. And I think that's that's very true. Totally. Um, so I think one of the biggest myth I heard in the Bay Area is that you need a lot of money to get started. Okay. Yeah, that's that's not true at all. I feel like the Bay Area is so saturated with money that you develop more of your IQ side of things and your accountability size, like you can potentially fundraise that money pretty easily. A hundred percent agree. I would say this with a caveat because, you know, you don't want to be irresponsible when you take on other people's money, but you, you don't necessarily have to know everything, but you have to know more than the investor. You definitely have to know more than probably the average person and have a few connections um, but you have to know where to find the answer generally. And if you if you have that network and that group of people and that education base where you're farther along on the path than most, you probably have enough to get started. And don't be afraid to bring on a partner like Brian um, if you've got a good deal and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do now. Like I talked to the seller, we got it locked up, but like, where do we go? Like, I don't, I don't know how to, how to flip this house all of a sudden, like getting that hands-on experience with somebody is way better than, than going out and spending six months and failing and losing all this money because you're afraid to give up an equity piece. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree, Hans. Like, don't be, don't even worry about the money for, worry about the education part because that education part will get you further because money will always come and go. The abundance mindset will help you out a lot. In yeah, absolutely. In the long run, you need you need the education because that's something you cannot unlearn. Once once you've sort of expanded your brain in a certain way, it's like a rubber band that just doesn't quite go back into shape anymore. It's just it's bigger and it's it's there forever, and you can't unlearn it. And then you'll start stacking on top of it and keep going. And what we're the strategy ultimately we're talking about is is a longer term one. This is not like a thirty days to a million dollars kind of strategy, but it's sustainable and it's something that you can build over a lifetime. And ultimately, if you decide to, you can leave whatever life you're in and step into a full-time role with it like Brian did. And, you know, there's story after story of those types of people who are educating themselves, spending a couple afternoons a week meeting people or going to meetups or reading books. And, you know, if you spend even just a couple of months in that world, you will find that you're way farther along than you thought you would be after two months. Definitely. And those who are experienced, I think the best thing I ever read in the book was you, your business can grow past you. Like you have to keep on growing in order for your business to keep on growing. Because at the end of the day, like you make the decisions, you, you're the shot caller. If you can't keep growing, keep on improving, you can't deal with all these situations that come your way. So your business can't, grow, can't outgrow you at all. Wow. That's really actually great advice too, because I think once you cash that first check, 
you're like, ah, oh, I got this. I'm the man. And then you're like, ooh, the next deal is totally different. And uh, we have to like, you know, do this foundation or something. And I don't know anything about foundations. There's an example of your business just outgrew you. Exactly. Exactly. So you just have to stay ahead of the curve and keep on improving every single day. Education, man. That's, that's the key. If you're not growing, you're probably shrinking because the world is so like, we're on this podcast right now. We're not sitting together physically, but we're connected and people are constantly changing ideas and things are growing and growing. And if you're not moving forward, you're probably getting passed up. So finding your education niche, whatever that is for you and, and just committing to it is probably what I'm hearing you say, Brian, is probably the number one way to get started. Definitely. And keep in mind that even though you do have success now, success is, is borrowed. It's not guaranteed. Oh my gosh, man. You're just bringing the heat this morning. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never heard that before. I love it. Success is borrowed. Uh, it's never guaranteed. You got to keep, you got to keep rolling. Again, in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of get to the end of our show and, and transition to our final segment that we call our Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every episode. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about these. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First question is, what book have you gifted most often? I think that book is called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. You're the second person to bring that book up. I love that one. I love that book so much. It's so like, it brings you into the very moment how you got started and what his thinking process of like, was like. And you're talking about Nike too. Like everybody knows Nike, you know? Yep. That company almost died on the vine so many times. And it's amazing that they didn't. And he wasn't even making money for the majority of the beginning of it. Exactly. He still had his main job. Nike was a side hustle. I love his story so much. Awesome. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask them as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Mm, I think this person would be Warren Buffett uh, because I think he's, he's, a one, he's one of the most successful investors ever. Mm -hmm. He's also very patient too because when you look at a bell curve, his net worth, he didn't make most of his money until his 50s or 60s. Wow. He was yeah. patient enough to wait that long and have that kind of vision to know that the, the moves that you're making right now will create a substantial impact in like 30, 40 years. No one, because we're all like in, in a generation instant gratification. Mm -hmm. I don't see that far. So definitely I want to talk to him and be like, what was your vision when you knew you had nothing and you kept on investing into this? the site during all, all the economic downturns you've been through and still have faith that by this point you'd be like a billionaire. You know, wow. That's amazing to me. Lo love the patience comment there. That's a, that's perfect. Um, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Um, I think the one thing that people always disagree with me on is that I believe everyone is smart. Hmm. I think that there's no dumb person out there. I just think they haven't found their passion yet, you know? And that's, when you talk to people, this is a whole different debate, but when you talk to people, like, they always have this set opinion of people that they can't achieve things or do things. I don't think, I don't think that's true. I think that everyone has potential to do something great. 
And it just, they need the right circumstances to bring out that potential. Man, we could do a whole podcast on that comment right there. <laughs> um, in the interest of time, maybe we'll bring you back and we'll have that conversation another time. But that is, that's really interesting. And I, I completely agree with it. Um, but I, uh, maybe we'll just go one more question deep on this, just because I think it's interesting. Like, how do you know if you're in your passion or not? Like how... Is there a success metric that you you think you should measure or is it just a general feeling that you give advice on when it comes to like knowing you're you're in that place or not? Yeah, definitely. It's when you, like I said, I hit on this point before, it's when you know you do something and you know like no matter how long it takes or how hard it takes, like you're willing to keep working at it. For me, especially this is real estate because sometimes like I'll be I'll be cold calling, talking to agents, getting deals, and nothing will happen for like three or four months, and it gets it drives me crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know that feelings when you keep working at it, even though you're not seeing any results, is when you know you have that passion that you want to keep pushing for it because you have that vision inside and that undying belief that you know great things will happen. You keep pursuing it, so you keep on doing it every single day. So uh, give give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Uh, so my morning routine, I usually wake up and I um, I start writing my journal immediately. So I generally write down three things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Generally, I'm like, I always say stuff like, I'm really happy to be healthy and alive. I'm happy that my parents are healthy and alive. Like I'm happy to be in this position that I am. And most of the time, this helps me um, over like look over my day. And be like, okay, like there may be a lot of things going on, but I'm very blessed to be in this situation. So mm-hmm. you help you not feel overwhelmed by being grateful. I also write down a, on a separate notepad, like one thing I want to do that day to improve myself. And this list will keep going on every single day for like a couple months, couple years. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything. It could be like, I want myself to smile more when I meet people. I want myself to give a firmer handshake. Or I want myself to look at three deals today. It could be anything. As long mm-hmm. as that, you write down that one thing that you always want to do. And I guess my final morning routine is that I write in my journal. I just free flow. I keep writing to the end of the page about anything that bothers me, all my thoughts. Because like, when you tap into the power of your subconscious mind, you find a lot more about yourself than you really know about yourself. And that's why I feel like free flowing writing is so important to me. That's awesome. I love all of that because I, I do a couple of those myself. So I'm total fan of that strategy and I completely agree with it. So I love that you're doing that as well. So Brian, um, wrapping up here, where can the guests connect with you the most? Definitely. Most of my guests connect with me on Facebook. Find me as Brian Pham on Facebook or through my website at crushingitinrealestate.com. I'm very responsive. Oh yeah, my Instagram handle is Brian V Pham. You also find me there as well. Awesome. So he's on Facebook, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-P-H-A-M. He's got a podcast, which he releases weekly on Sundays called Crushing It in Real Estate. We're going to link to those in the show notes. And then Instagram, Brian V. Fam. We'll have all three of those linked in the show notes so you can check him out there. He's also got a, a meetup that he hosts in Oakland. So if you're local to the Bay Area and you want to come learn more about some real estate investing, I'll be there. He'll be there. Come connect with both of us. What is that? Every third Thursday in West Oakland? Yeah, every um, third Thursday in West Oakland. That's right. 
Awesome. And it's on meetup.com. Just search real estate uh, meetup in, in West Oakland. You'll find him there. And plus he's posting it all over Facebook. So it's hard to miss. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for the chat and all the practical advice and the stories. And I think you've really brought a lot of value today. So with that, we're going to sign it off and uh, appreciate you being a, being a guest on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hans. I had, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. That was the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to my conversation with Brian. Uh, if you want to connect with him down in the show notes, his website is crushing it in real estate. He's on Facebook and on Instagram, Facebook handle Brian Pham, P-H-A-M. Instagram is Brian V, like Victor Fam. Uh, all linked in the show notes as well as if you are in the area of Oakland or the Bay Area specifically and you want to come meet him in person, go check out his meetup. I've linked that in the show notes as well. And as always, I would love to meet you personally. I will be at his meetups. But if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation on the phone while you're in the show notes, get uh, take a look for my Calendly link. Uh, get on my calendar. Let's have a chat so I can learn a little more about you, uh, what it is that you're liking on the show, how I can improve it, and hopefully uh, make this podcast even better. So for now, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, and make sure you make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.